Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. You can find us in other po uh, good podcasts at reformpodcasts.com. Also, check out our blog, theparticularbaptist.net. Um, I just released an article um, last night on Jeffrey Johnson's view of motion in God in light of the whole controversy surrounding the doctrine of God um, relating to Jeff Johnson's new book, The Failure of Natural Theology, so check that out. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube um, and you have not yet subscribed to us, hit the subscribe button, um, share us, hit the bell to be notified when uh, we put up new videos or go live. Um, you might notice I'm flying solo today. Um, my co-host, Sean, uh, is attending to other things today, so I will be doing a solo episode, and hopefully we'll be able to... Um, carry on without him today. Um, hey, Devante, how are you, sir? Hope you're doing well. Um, but with that, I want to do just a very short devotional. This won't be a very, not, not like last week's episode that was over two hours. Um, although, you know, we hit some very difficult topics last week, some topics that I think required in-depth discussion um, as it relates to Jeff Johnson's book. So we did go quite long. Uh, this will not be as long, uh, but a very short, I think a very short episode. Um, I want to do a devotional and exegete some scripture um, out of Philippians chapter 3. So if, if you happen to have your Bibles with you or your phone app or whatever, um, Philippians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 12. So we'll go ahead and read that through 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for uh, of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Excuse me, brethren. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this letter to the Philippians. It's a very short letter. Um, I think it's four chapters. Paul is giving very practical instructions uh, in this letter um, to the church in Philippi, but he's starting to close out this letter now, right? He's he's saying, kind of laying out final words, although he's obvious, whoa, better watch out here. I'm going to knock over my, my setup here. Um, but Paul is really laying out some of, uh, some final instructions before he closes out the book. He's you know, because this is chapter three, so chapter four is the last chapter, but he's, he's kind of, I think, starting to close out. But he wants the Philippians to focus on who Jesus is, right? He wants that to be their driving force, their center, as they go through uh, their pilgrimage on this life. He wants Christ to be the passion of the church in Philippi. They're to watch out for those who seek to undermine the truth of the gospel. We see this um, in verses 2 through 4. Paul calls those who undermine the gospel, really the Judaizers, he calls them dogs, right? Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those dogs. And I want to give credit where credit is due. I did use um, the MacArthur Bible Commentary, or MacArthur's Bible Commentary it was very helpful in um in some of this study um but he does talk about you know what what was a dog as it really in the ancient world in this time 
they were not looked upon as, as we think of today in our culture. Um, they were, I think, typically scavengers and um, just dirty animals. So Paul is by no means using nice language when he's talking about these false teachers and saying that they're dogs and that they're those to be avoided. It was uh, a derogatory term, and rightly so. They were twisting the gospel. They were twisting. Um, they were twisting the truth that Christ alone and resting in His righteousness alone was the way of salvation. That's really where um, where Paul was getting at. They were undermining that teaching. Um, essentially that you could be saved by works, that circumcision was a means of salvation, of attaining um, of attaining the grace of God. And so, or, or attaining salvation, I should say, they didn't, you're obviously not believing in grace if you believe that works are contributing to that. But um, Paul uses very harsh language to talk about these false teachers. He wasn't using nice couched language that I think that we um, we tend to associate uh, love with, you know, we, we always, I think sometimes there's a tendency to, um, when we're criticizing other people um, for things that are worth criticizing, when it's, when it comes to false teaching, I think there's a tendency sometimes to be very, um, you know, trying to be too careful in terms of how we approach people like that. And, and there's nothing wrong with having self-control, but when we're talking about people who are distorting core doctrines of the faith, persisting in them and, and undermining especially the gospel, um, there should be harsh language for people like that. We should not be um, nice, quote unquote, to people like that. And in fact, I think it's, it, it, it's not loving to be, um, to be approaching people who persist in false doctrine um, especially as it relates to core aspects of the faith um, with uh, white-gloved um, attention. They're distorting the, the core truths of the, of the faith. They need to be handled with some fierceness because they are uh, of the seriousness of what we are dealing with. So um, Paul does not mince words when he um, goes down this word, and he even does this in Galatians. Um, that's at least one other place he does this, where uh, talking about the people, the Judaizers who were seeking circumcision as some as, as a means of, of salvation and the, the legalism they were pushing, you know, said, hey, why don't those people who want to push that emasculate yourselves? You know, you, you want to circumcise yourself? Fine. Just keep going. Just keep going, you know, and, and emasculate yourself. Um, so this, this harsh language we see here, too, is calling these people dogs. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for these people who who mutilate the flesh, They're mutilating the flesh. Their circumcision really, um, it's, that's, it's just a mutilation of the flesh. That's all it is. So Paul addresses the false teachers early on in this chapter, but then he lays out credentials for himself, right? He says, look, guys, I've got the credentials to back up being uh, the Jew of Jews, essentially. And those credentials... He lays out are are very clear. You know, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Um, he was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was um, a, a Pharisee. Essentially, he was uh, a a stand up Pharisee who kept the law, and there was really nobody compared to him according in his estimation. And uh, Paul is, I think, comparing himself, and this is what. 
I think MacArthur gets out in his commentary. He's really comparing himself to the to the false teachers who want to use um, the the law or works of some kind to prove themselves uh, to be worthy of salvation. Like, look, I did all these things, guys, and I was probably and I was better than you at it. I was better than you at it. But those things were not enough, right? They couldn't satisfy. They couldn't bring the 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 satisfaction of the wrath of God um, that was necessary in order to stand before God. This is actually very relevant to our discussion now. Um, Here we are on the eve of Reformation Sunday, which is tomorrow, October 31st, where we celebrate um, the spark of the Reformation with Luther's 95 theses. And, you know, there's debate as to whether Luther actually nailed them on the door of the Wittenberg Church, but the significance of the 95 theses should not be um, should not be underestimated in the what that sparked. But Luther, Martin Luther, that German monk, would struggle with this very thing. You know, how can I? I'm doing all of these outward acts. I'm doing all of these things that are supposed to bring me peace, that are supposed to somehow make me holy in the eyes of God. But I'm not finding satisfaction in them at all. And he eventually, by God's grace, came to a realization that faith was that method by which that righteousness came and that satisfaction came, right? And that's really where Paul is going with this. But Paul is basically saying that all those works, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the guy, you know, I was the guy. I had it all together in my religious practice. But he says that those things were not enough. They couldn't bring salvation. And really, Paul says that they're just trash, rubbish, garbage. You know, and, and I, I, if, if my memory serves me right, I think the idea of rubbish is really dung or poop or whatever you want to call it. But it's not good. It, it's worthy to be thrown away. Um, even though he had such an elite status and he did all these things and was disciplined. And he, oh, and he even brings up the... Uh, the credential of persecuting the church. You know, I even went, I was so consistent with what I believed, or I I was so zealous that I went and I persecuted Christians. Um, in addition to just being a Pharisee and keeping the law and being circumcised on the eighth day, I persecuted the church. I went above and beyond. Um, I was I was extremely zealous for what I believed. But all of that was counted as loss. It meant nothing. It meant nothing at the end of the day, verses seven through nine of Philippians three, compared to Christ, they were only fit to be thrown away. Paul wanted to be found in Christ alone. He wanted to be found in Christ alone. That's where his rest and his hope wanted to be found. Even the works of a faithful Jew and Pharisee who was above his peers in his faithfulness, that righteousness that came from Christ that came from God, he wanted to be found resting in that. And he repeats this mantra of uh, resting in Christ by faith alone, resting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ as compared to his own righteousness. And this is really repeating what we see in the book of Romans. You look at Romans 1, 16 through 17, says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So this righteousness that comes from God, which is the righteousness of Christ, he's the only one who lives a perfect life, the only one who could do this, um, it comes by faith. And this is what Paul confesses in here in Philippians chapter 3. But in Romans 3, 21 through 26, Paul says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Excuse me. So Paul wants to be found in this righteousness alone. This is where true justice is satisfied as it relates to the tribunal of God. It's satisfied not only in the active obedience of Christ, which is the righteousness of God that comes through faith, but the passive obedience of Christ, which is his death, that propitiation by his blood, that wrath-bearing sacrifice has satisfied um, God's justice. And that's only th received through faith, right? When we believe in Christ, we receive that blessing of that propitiatory sacrifice, which is uh, satisfying the wrath of God by Christ's death on the cross. So God is just, and he's the justifier of those who believe, who put their faith in Jesus, in Christ alone, right? He satisfied, Christ satisfied the wrath of God on their behalf. That's where Paul wants to be found, right? Right? 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So Christ became these things, right? This actually, this passage here, I think, plays very nicely into Paul's discussion here in Philippians 3, because Paul seems to be saying here, you're in Christ Jesus, right? This, You're in him, you're unified to him. This is covenantal language. You're in union with Christ. You are in him, united to him by faith. And he became for us these things, right? Wisdom from God, he's for us, he's righteousness for us, he's sanctification for us and redemption, right? So we've received the righteousness of Christ, we've received this righteousness, we've received the sanctification and receive redemption in by being unified to Christ by faith. And because of that, we can glory in the Lord. We don't glory in ourselves. That's what Paul says in verse 31. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We can only glory in the Lord because these things come from him. This is not something that I conjure up in myself. I don't conjure up righteousness. I don't conjure up sanctification. I don't create or conjure up redemption. That only comes from being united to Christ, right? So we can only glory in the Lord. That's what Paul is laying out here in 1 Corinthians, and that um, is what Paul is laying out here in Philippians. He wants them to see that they are to rest in Christ alone, rest in him by faith, and have no nothing else to glory in but the Lord. That's it. That's it. And that brings us to uh, verses 12 to 14 in Philippians 3 that we see here. 
Paul is pushing forward, not holding on to his previous life, right? But he's looking forward to what is coming, and he's doing so resting in the gospel, right? He's looking forward. This looking forward requires him to focus on what is ahead, to keep his eyes focused forward, not looking behind him, right? Not looking behind him. You know, if it, if a runner, I'm a runner, okay, you know, I got my, I got my Project Rock gear here. I'm, I'm actually going to go running later today. I'm a runner. When you're running, you cannot be looking behind you and run efficiently, right? You're probably going to trip over yourself. You're, you're not going to see where you're going, so you might run into something. You're not going to be able to run efficiently. So we have to be looking forward and paying attention if you're going to run efficiently, right? Run safely. But Paul is saying here that he has to forsake everything that is behind him, right? He doesn't count himself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He's reaching forward to those things that are ahead. He's reaching forward to those heavenly things, resting in the gospel as he's looking forward. He hasn't obtained the resurrection yet, right? He even says that. He's reaching forward to those things that are ahead. He presses toward that goal, right? Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He hasn't obtained um, all those spiritual blessings yet, but he's looking forward and he's doing so by faith and he wants to be found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's where he wants to be found. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? It means that we're not to be holding on to those things that we lived before. Those, and in context here, Paul's you know been talking about his former life as a Jew, right? He's not holding on to those things as a way of salvation. He's really he's not even holding on to them as a way of um, as some kind of spiritual badge. Although he does flash his credentials around to make a point. But he's not doing so in in that it has any uh, spiritual significance towards his salvation. He doesn't do that. He rests in Christ alone. But he can't be doing that if he's looking to his past life and holding on to that in some way, right? If he's holding on to it as a in uh, resting in that for his hope and not looking forward and not holding on to who Christ is in the gospel, then he's really not running the race, is he? You can't do both. So you need to forsake those things that are behind us. And I think the lessons that we can learn for that, one, I think the primary, don't be holding on to your works. Don't be holding on to your um, your ability to keep God's law. We rest in Christ and his gospel alone. That is how we persevere and reach for those things that are coming, right? By faith, by faith. And when we're focused on those things that are to come by faith, there isn't there really isn't room for anything else in terms of uh, getting in the way of of hindering hindering that faith, right? We need to keep Christ as the center for our prize. I think a I think a good application of this that not looking to our sins and letting ourselves wallow in in sins that we've committed. Yes, we're going to have besetting sins. Yes, we're going to struggle with sin. We are not perfect. Romans chapter seven makes us clear. First John. Chapter 1 makes us very clear. Sin is a ever-present reality for a true believer. But a true believer doesn't um, 
let themselves wallow in their sin as a as an overall lifestyle. You know, they they're not given to it. They are free, as you know, Paul talks about in Romans six. They're free. They're no longer slaves to sin. They're slaves to righteousness. So they're living differently. They're walking differently, right? But we as Christians should be looking forward in faith. Our sins are forgiven. We've been made free in Christ. We should be walking forward in looking and reaching for what is to come, right? We're not to let ourselves wallow in sin, not only wallow in it in terms of doing it, but also when we repent of our sins, we should not be uh, wallowing in, in too much sorrow. Yes, we're to be grieved over our sins. That's a biblical principle. Yes, we're to have true hatred for it and we're to repent of it, but we're not to stay there, right? We're to uh, look look forward to Christ in faith. Thomas Watson talks about this, right? We're not to we're not to let ourselves become so grieved with our sin that we forget the promises, right? We're we're forgetting to look to Christ in faith. We have a great promise that our sins have been forgiven. We, that should drive us, right? That should drive us. Our 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 mindset is focused on that in the gospel. When we look at our sins too much, so much so that we neglect to look forward, um, I think that it can be a hindrance to our lives. We, we look at our failures and we look at what we've done and, and instead of rightly repenting of them and moving on and forgetting those things that are behind and looking forward, we wallow in them. We feel, we feel too sorry for ourselves. I think that can be something that can, um, that can happen or we, or we let our, we may let our guilt plague us that, so much that it hinders us from actually doing what we're supposed to be doing in obedience to God. I think that is something that can absolutely happen. So let, let's get up and move forward, um, brothers and sisters. We, uh, I think a perfect example of this is where we see in Hebrews chapters 11 and 12, right? If you look at Hebrews 12, verse 1, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In verse 2, uh, notice what verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we for how do we move on when we're forsaking these things? We're looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. That is how we persevere in this life as Christians. We're looking to him, we're resting in him, resting in his gospel. That is how we persevere. And this is continuing the same line of thought. That was laid out in chapter 11, right? The great, what's called the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? And the writer goes into all these examples. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, um, and so on and so forth. So showing that they believed, right? These people believed in what was coming, right? They believed in what was coming. And it even says um, that they really hadn't received, in verse 13 of chapter 11, it says, these all died in faith, and this is in kind of in the middle, I guess, of the discussion of, a, of the listing of the Hall of Fame of Faith. But he said, these all died in faith, and not, ha not having the promises, but seeing them 
from afar off who are assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What were those Old Testament saints doing? They were looking forward. They were not looking behind them. They were not looking and holding on to their past lives. They were looking forward in faith, and their lives flowed out of that faith. By faith, they did this. By faith, they did this. Their actions followed their beliefs, right? Their actions followed their belief, I should say. They believed in God. They believed in his promises, and they obeyed as a result. They persevered, pursuing that heavenly country, pursuing those things, right? Pursuing those things that were promised, whatever these, uh, the promises that were given to them, pursuing that and resting in that. And then the writer in chapter 12 really is just saying, look, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses here. These great cloud of witnesses, these people who have believed by faith, right? We have all these witnesses and, and all those listed in, in chapter 11. So let us now, let's let that be the example for us. Let's lay aside every weight. Look, they believe by faith. They walked by faith. So let us lay aside every weight and in in sin that ensnares us, right? And looking unto Jesus, just like those Old Testament saints did, looking forward to those that were coming, were to look forward to Jesus and rest in him. And that will help us to persevere. And I'll tell you, if, if we're doing that as Christians, we won't get bogged down in all the silliness that goes on in the Christian world today, getting consumed with the political scenario, the political arena. While politics is certainly an important thing and is uh, not to be thrown by the wayside, um, it's not everything. We, we don't, this is not our home. This is not our home. Our home is a heavenly home and we look forward to, uh, we look forward to our Lord coming, but we're looking unto him. We're looking unto him. We won't get distracted if we're looking unto him as we should be. And obviously, it's not going to be a perfect looking. We're not going to see Christ perfectly as we should, looking unto him perfectly. We tend to get distracted as Christians. We tend to put other things ahead and focus on this world and and other things that we shouldn't be instead of looking unto Jesus. If we look unto Jesus, it will help us to avoid falling into pitfalls and worldliness. Um, and silliness. So, brothers and sisters, let's persevere. The world we live in is becoming increasingly more hostile to us as believers. Um, but the only way we can persevere is by looking unto Jesus and resting in Him and His gospel, remembering those promises that He gave to us, and obeying Him as we're believing, flowing from that faith that we have in Him. That's where our hope is found, brothers and sisters. Let that. Uh, motivate you let that give you strength and let's remember that you know as we go into tomorrow celebrating reformation day that we remember those who came before us who had great faith whom god saved and and they persevered by looking unto jesus and that can uh, let that inspire you 
as we persevere in the faith. Well, that's all I have for today. Um, again, a short episode, not the two-hour episode that plus episode we had last week, but just a short devotional. I hope it's been helpful, brothers and sisters, and and uh, I pray that you, or I hope that you have a blessed Lord's Day and Reformation Day tomorrow. Um, and Lord willing, we will return uh, here soon. With that, have a great weekend, and Lord bless.